reference to the misguided jhana. There's a couple of suttas, the Majima middle length sayings 108, 108th sutta, and I think the, the section is section 26, 108. If you look into that sutta, often the paragraphs are numbered and it's, it's 26. And also there's a, another sutta, middle length sayings number 50, and the reference I had was 50, section 13. But there's actually quite a few, in that I only gave one example, there's about four or five similes he uses. And there are other occasions um, when he, 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 he is, uh, put a sense of humour. Um, you know, and there's a example he uses simile of the elephant and the cat I think or the I think it's a cat and so the elephant has obviously got some strength and you know big creature so it walks into this huge pond and it just strides across it because it's an elephant the little cat tries to do the same thing and comes to grief because it doesn't have <laughs> the strength and the power and this is like the foolish meditator who goes into the deep waters who doesn't have the proper training skills the elephant and the cat another one is the mountain cow i don't know where he saw mountain cows i don't think he went to switzerland but maybe <laughs> and he said the skillful mountain cow have to walk across all the ravines and rocky places. It, when it, whenever it moves, it, has, it keeps three feet on the ground and then moves one foot forward. When that foot feels very secure, it moves another foot. It doesn't make a step until the, you know, there's security. So it just moves a little bit at a time, puts that one foot down. Okay, that feels solid. Right, now I'll move the other leg. So this is the wise mountain cow. The foolish mountain cow scampers along and falls down the scree. <laughs> okay. The three characteristics Anicca, Dukkha, Anatta. Anicca, things are, everything is relatively so, it's changeable, it's not constant. Um, just recognizing this characteristic in um, all manifest phenomena so you know uh, some things seem pretty constant you might say oh, I've got a constant headache doesn't seem very in Nietzsche to me I wish it would go away well if you contemplate the headache you'll find it's a series of pulses that are shifting and changing and take some time over time it does go away it just doesn't necessarily go away as quickly as you'd like it to uh, other things, uh, some you know, and it's helpful to to recognise this because then we don't lean too hard or put too put too much faith and trust in in things that must eventually fall away. And then we feel lost and disoriented. So it's one of those constant recollections around bodies situations, houses, belongings, this too is of the nature to pass and change. So we don't get bonded to stuff that can't actually you know, be bonded to. Dukkha, 
dukkha means things are unsatisfactory. They have the tendency to to break down or to be subject to change. Um, to be incomplete means we're about to complete this thing, but not quite yet. Have you ever had that? Just getting to the end of the job, and then we will ah. I just tidy that up, and then we'll ah. I just had to need that detail, and then I'll oh. What do you mean? Okay, we'll do it that way, and then we'll oh. Oh, well, tomorrow we'll fit, we'll sort it out tomorrow. <laughs> you ever had that experience? <laughs> and then you get to the end of it and think, I uh, still don't feel good. It doesn't I'm not satisfied with that. <laughs> Everything I do is like that. <laughs> I'm not complaining, but you know, you do. It's a five-minute job. When everybody says a five-minute job, you know you're in for a <laughs> some work. <laughs> you think, oh, we'll just get this. Ah, who's? Where's the hammer gone? <laughs> How do you do this? You know, five-minute job turns into a day job, and then, but then you finish it, you think. Actually, I, I don't really like it anyway that much. <laughs> Dukkha. <laughs> yeah, and that, that. And how many does that go on? You know, and even we have relationships with other people, we have a pleasant, enjoyable time, and then some misunderstanding and what went wrong. Because that's the way it goes. And it was really nice and pleasant, and then, then he left. He died. What went wrong? Sorry. It's dukkha. Phenomenal existence is dukkha. It's a characteristic. And uh, the encouragement or the nexus or the hub of the training is how to notice that unsatisfactoriness, fragileness, incompleteness of experience without internalizing it so you feel miserable. There's a difference between dukkha as a characteristic and dukkha as a noble truth. Dukkha as a noble truth is when I don't don't really get it that this is not this has got this incomplete, fragile nature to it. So if I get upset, I expect things to be harmonious and they're not. If I get upset, I expect everything to work and it doesn't. Therefore, I get upset. I expect the train to be on time. It's not. Therefore, I get upset. I expect people to treat me the way I like to be treated, and they don't. I get upset. I expect things to be fair and even, and it's not. I get upset. I complain. I blame. I criticize. I blame myself. I blame my parents. I blame my friends. I blame other people. I blame because I can't handle dukkha. <laughs> so one who handles dukkha, you know, okay, people are like this, life's like this. Uh huh. What do you expect? Mm-hmm. So then our actions are no longer perfectionist. We just act with goodwill and we don't ask for things, for results. We just practice with goodwill, good intention. We don't ask for results. There will be results and there'll probably be 50%, 70%, 80%, 20% percentage of what one wanted. Eventually, if you don't have any expectation, it's always 100%. (laughs) <laughs> everything's perfect 
anatta, things are not ownable, anatta, not self. Now, people sometimes take this as an absolute, there is no such thing as a self. Self, anybody has a self should be annihilated. It's wrong, Buddhists don't have selves anymore. Arahants don't have selves. Um, what's a self? It's really a weave of particular um, psychologies that are bound together. And the weave of these psychologies, the first psychology is owning, ownership, ownership, mine, mine and not mine. Yeah. Second quality is control. I can make it this way. I can make it that way. Third kind of quality is uh, I'm not separate from this. This is part of me. This is intrinsically mine. When you begin to review any of these these statements, uh, well, take your own body. Uh, what's it made of? Did you make it? No. How can you call it yours then? Can you say to it, I'd like you to be taller, slimmer, fatter, wider, like you have red hair rather than black hair. Can you do that? No. So in what way do you have control over it? Can you say, let me never feel hungry again? Can you say, never let me feel sick again? No. So what control do you have over it? And when you contemplate, you see, well, how much of this stuff, you know, skin, teeth, viscera, fluids, pancreas, how much, it's all separate bits and pieces stuck together. And, uh, you know, they say that most of our bodies belong to something else. They're full of foreign microorganisms, mitochondria, bacteria, intestinal flora. I'm not, I'm a city. I'm not an entity. I'm a city, of a colony of an amazing degree of, of, of bioorganisms working together. Uh, so, and this body constantly needs to be supported by air, food, water, right? So it's, it's not separate from its, its environment. So I can't separate it out and say, this is all mine and that's something else. So it's something like a body, an atar. Then you look at the mind, same thing. What's the content of your mind? Stuff you've been reading, stuff you've been watching on television, things you heard when you were a kid, things people saying. Your mind is not your own. Attitudes you've picked up. Opinions, views, prejudices, skills you've picked up. Your mind is not your own. You inherit. Mental content is an inheritance, not an entity. We take it also personally, but it's really just an inheritance. Emotional impulses. Oh dear, I have these shocking impulses. Like nobody else has? Everybody has them. What's so self about that? The clinging to it is what makes it self. And the idea that I could be in control of my mind. You know, say, okay, if you can control your mind, just stop thinking now. Don't have another thought. (laughs) You can't do that. (laughs) Don't feel anything. That can't happen. How much control? So this is a nata. Uh, what what is it is binding together and it's to make it something that it isn't 
And then we contemplate other people's experiences. This also is just phenomena, their conditioning. Then one can be much more compassionate towards your own mental content and other people's mental content, towards other people's behaviours and your own behaviours, much more compassionate and less judgmental. But these are really helpful phenomena to bear in mind, to keep checking out. I think I'm going to just take one more. Someone's questioning, practice of Satipatthana and Anapanasati Sutta uh, can lead to liberation. What is perplexing is that most meditation retreats in Theravada tradition, only Anapana is being taught and practiced, uh, which can be construed akin to first foundation of mindfulness. So Anapana as the first foundation of mindfulness. Such an explicit and succinct path is not being taught, though clearly much emphasised by the Lord Buddha. Well, I mean, Anapana is not a path. You know, the path is the Eightfold Path. And, um, but uh, this seems to be uh, a practice that the Buddha himself favoured because he says it does cover all the four. It gives the four establishments of mindfulness a single focus. That you can be mindful of the bodily experience, the materialities, the feeling experience, the mindsets, and the dhammas within the context of practicing Anapanasati. If you look in the Sutta, you'll see that the four tetrads correspond to the four Satipatthana. And he said, these also bring to into fruition the seven factors of enlightenment. So he certainly spoke very highly of Anapanasati as a, as a meditation practice. Uh, what people teach, I guess, is they teach what they know in accordance with what they feel people can come to, to manage. And I think perhaps Anapana is a pretty profound uh, in-depth practice and I've certainly never been able to teach the fullness of it because you, you want to you try to stay with what people can manage and, and handle um, and not feel like it's going too far away so often the first foundation of sati is body and if you linger in that thoroughly fully you'll feel the feelings associated with body um, you'll feel the feelings associated with the breathing. You'll feel the sense of rapture and the effect on the mind. You'll sense the knowingness of the mind within all that. You'll experience the energetic radiances of the mind within the panel. But uh, it's, it's certainly it's not for everyone. I mean, I think sometimes it's not in one's range. And there are other meditation practices. And, of course... The path is the eightfold path, sila, virtue, samadhi, and panya. Mm. Mm. So be aware of making any meditation technique the one and only, because <laughs> there are so many different mindsets and mind angles, and it's important not to get too fundamentalist or dogmatic about it. If, if breathing comes to you and, and it, you're, it's within your range, you can make use of it. If it doesn't, 
there's other things you can give your attention to that will take you further in terms of peace and happiness. So let's take a break there. Thank you for your questions.